Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this week we're going to be returning to Turkey. It's now 22 days until the fateful (coughs) referendum on changes to the Turkish constitution and we are going to explore with two very distinguished guests what a yes vote for these constitutional changes will mean and what a no vote would mean and what Europe and the rest of the world should do about it or even can do about it. To help us make sense of this topic, we are joined by one of ECFR's council members, Soli Özel, who is also a professor at Kadir Has University in Istanbul. And secondly, by Vesla Cherneva, a senior <coughs> policy fellow at ECFR and the director of programmes. And Vesla has also just organised a meeting with people from right around Europe, from lots of different governments, to talk about the Turkish situation. And we'll be feeding some of the insights that she got from that into this discussion. So, Sully, why don't you start by telling us both what's at stake in the referendum and what the conventional wisdom about what will happen is at the moment? Okay, well, uh, the Turkish Republic was founded by a national assembly. And uh, for all intents and purposes, if these amendments actually carry the day, the uh, the National Assembly is going to be just an, uh, it will be there, it will be there, but it will not be the powerful institution that it was meant to be in the initial stages. We will have a system, a presidential system, and as they say, a presidential system a la Turca at that, where power is going to be heavily concentrated in the hands of the in the hands of the presidents and although there are also some loopholes we need not get into which might actually uh, lengthen the the um, period of the of of the president although he's not supposed to be elected more than twice uh, and all in all uh, most people whose judgment i trust and my own judgment is that uh, this will be too much concentration of power. This will basically do away with um, with um, balance of uh, power between the, uh, the judiciary, the legislature, and the and the executive. And thirdly, and uh, certainly more more uh, more of a concern, uh, what will happen to judicial independence uh, or judicial impartiality, for that matter? And uh, on all those three counts, I think the uh, the proposed amendments are wanting. And I personally have one more objection. I don't like the way this was passed in the National Assembly. The vote was supposed to be secret. The the vote was some some deputies anyway showed exactly what how they were voting and stuff. And uh, I think in such things, procedure is as important as the essence of uh, of uh, of the of the law. So I'd like to go into some detail on the two scenarios of a yes and a no vote. But before we do that, Solly, why don't you tell us what the latest opinion polls are saying? Uh, well, there are a number of uh, polls that are published, not from very reputable or well-known uh, institutes, uh, organizations, and they show the no vote ahead. Uh, the two that I trust most suggest a, a really... Uh, Head, head-to-head, red-hot contest between the yes and the no's. Uh, 
we don't know exactly how the uh, recent brouhaha with Germany and particularly the Netherlands had uh, influenced people's judgments. Uh, I think they prob it probably pushed them, if at all, in any direction towards a yes vote. But I think it's dead heat, 50-50. And, uh, and conventional wisdom is that those who are still undecided, there's probably a bias towards knowing them because uh, people do not feel comfortable talking about uh, their preference for a no in an environment where um, no is not covered by the media, no cannot actually organize rallies, and the, the entire state apparatus appears to be... No can't organize rallies because people don't want to come out and do it or because the government is making it... Sometimes some governors who probably over-interpret what their duties are, are blocking uh, senior opposition figures, especially from the junior partner in this endeavor to the ruling AKP, the MHP, the Nationalist Party, the dissidents from that party who want to organize Mrs. Meral Akshener is their leader, they are having a very difficult time getting into the places which they have already rented to do to do their rallies. Anyway, so this is, uh, I think, it's still dead heat, uh, but there are three more weeks and the government really put its own uh, campaign on a turbocharge. Okay. Um, what? Maybe one final question before we go into the two scenarios. What groups are still in play in terms of the the results? What it turned out during our uh, seminar last week uh, was that uh, there there are two groups, and uh, and Soli can give us more details to those. One is uh, a big part of the MHP. As Soli so the MHP is the the Nationalist Party. It's the Nationalist Party, and half of them apparently are undecided, uh, although they um, they act as uh, um, coalition partner to Erdogan. But the other group is a, a, a fraction of AKP, which is also undecided, which is why our Turkish friends, uh, but also others, have been advising uh, Europeans not to do bold moves until the referendum, because this would... Uh, push those those groups uh, rather towards a more kind of uh, nationalistic uh, vote, which Reaction. in this case uh, would mean exactly, which would mean uh, going to to the yes uh, camp. So, Solly, you've talked a bit about why you think a yes would be a mistake in terms of the balance of power within Turkey, but how would it also just change the politics and Turkey as a as a an actor on the world stage, on the European scene, if uh, well, I don't wins. see why um, a change of system or a change of regime, according to some, would actually change Turkey's place in the world. The idea is, of course, if there is a yes vote and we do have a stronger executive, it will be a lot easier to make decisions. That's the, that's the selling point, okay? Honestly, uh, it's not as if we had had any problems with decision-making uh, over the last, uh, certainly over the last 10 years, if not uh, the last 14. Uh, and uh, Turkey's place in the world is not a function of what kind of system or regime Turkey has. I mean, in fact, if Turkey does not have, a, 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 maybe the regime will change if Turkey is uh, 
seen not to be, let's say, part of the European understanding of what politics is all about, then, of course, I no longer know what the European understanding of politics is. Um, but uh, that should not actually change um, Turkey's standing in, uh, in the world. What may have an impact on Turkey's relations with the world is how Turkey actually deals with the rest of the world. And on that, I, you can have a parliamentary system or an or a, an executive presidency, but that doesn't that doesn't really change. And of course, as you know, currently Turkey's relations with um, with Europe are uh, leave a lot to be they leave a lot to be desired. Uh, and uh, I kind of think that both sides are now taking a step back, kind of, because our uh, our ruling parties decided that they were not going to send any more ministers to go and, and speak in Europe. In other and and I we did say, President Erdogan did say that Europeans might not be safe walking around the streets if they carry on behaving the way that they are. Yeah, I understand the, the uh, European Commission demanded an explanation as to what this particular uh, phrase meant, and I'm not sure that the explanation has yet been given. So, Vesa, you were talking to loads of Europeans about how they see what's going on. What do you think... Um, it's, it's likely to happen if we if it looks like we're moving towards a yes. Um, paradoxically, this is the easier answer uh, because a yes vote would basically radicalize both camps. It is going to cement uh, both camps. Um, Turkey, uh, in a way, is uniting Europe much more than uh, many of Europe's outside partners. And uh, and now it's it's kind of logical and easy not to like Turkey because of everything that has been said in the last weeks. So for parties of the left, they don't like the fact that he's centralizing power, that he's religious, that he's cutting back on human rights, on closing down newspapers. And parties of the right don't like them because they're Muslim. Yeah, but also the, this this Nazi accusations didn't help uh, on a, on a wider front. Um, I think yeah. so. So we have, we have, we have this, uh, and we have also each of each of the parties has a carrot in their hands. The Europeans think that their carrot is is suspending the uh, accession negotiations, and uh, the Turkish government think thinks that their carrot is uh, suspending the migration agreement with uh, with the EU. So. In a way, after the after the sixteenth of April, if there is a yes vote, we will see who is going to play their card. It will be it will be an interesting thing to see. But I think even more interesting is the question of what happens if there is a no vote. Yeah, we'll come to the no vote in a second. Last then. night, just to yeah. finish this thought, last night the president of the republic, Mr. Erdogan, was interviewed on CNN Turk. A national broadcaster and I think it was a dual broadcast because the same company owns both CNN Turk and the most pop one of the most popular TV stations Canal D and in there he said if they continue to call me a dictator I will continue to call them Nazis, Nazis yeah. uh, so uh, I, I guess by this was much more of a matter of reciprocity for him because he thinks um, he obviously thinks that being called a dictator is as for him at least as far as he's concerned is as bad as him calling uh, the Dutch and the and and the Germans Nazis but uh, that's how he that's how he um, uh, put it there 
So what do you think of uh, will happen in terms of what Vesla was saying? That if there is this escalation after a yes vote, that the you know there are a lot of member states that are ready to suspend negotiations with Turkey. How, how much of a threat do you think that is for Erdogan? Do you think he is likely to to retaliate by um, encouraging busing refugees into Bulgaria, which is I think one of the things that he threatened? Uh, 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 he didn't. Others did. I, I think I don't did, believe there that a, there was that leaked transcript of president talking with um, was it with Juncker or Tusk? Oh no, but that was uh, that ago. was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think Bulgarians might remember it. <laughs> yeah, they probably do. Well, the thing is, uh, accession negotiations have been on a coma for quite some time now, so you really cannot threaten Erdogan or anybody in Turkey, I guess, by um, uh, suspending them by suspension. You can't kill what's already dead. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I think it was already a given. And I guess, my, uh, I guess the point was neither side really wanted to declare officially that the accession issue was dead. Uh, we basically a suspension of disbelief. Let's say we just went on as if the business was as usual. Uh, that's why we we still have these negotiations about how to upgrade the customs union. But of course, a yes vote may change the nature of things. What will really change the nature of things is not the yes vote, I don't think. What will really change the, the, uh, the nature of things will be if, as Mr. Erdogan again suggested, uh, the death penalty is reintroduced. I guess if, the, if, if Turkey does reintroduce the death penalty, this is basically a statement to Europe, we don't want you. Yeah. Okay. And I guess at that point... Because that was you, the most symbolic uh, part So of I guess at that point, the, the Europeans will have no other choice but to declare officially that they have suspended negotiations. Um, and the, that the thing, one thing, yeah. and I think the real catch in the game is neither side wants to be the initiator of right. ending the relation, the accession relation. The Europeans don't want to be the ones to tell Turkey... It's over. Well, some do. The hmm? Austrians are quite keen. Well, the Austrians yeah. never really wanted negotiations <laughs> to start to begin with, but yeah. we can forget that. Um, uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, and, 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 and the Turkish side wishes them to do the deed and not uh, Turkey actually getting out. In the case of escalation, it seems to me uh, that Europeans, um, as you say, will kill something which is al already dead. Uh, and this is the most they can do. But Erdogan also in that interview last night said, I want to sit down with the Europeans and reconsider all our relationships with the ex exception of the economic one. So the economic and trade relationship we want to keep, but everything which goes on the political side, uh, we actually want to review. Um, I wonder if that also means uh, the Council of Europe. Do you think that there could be uh, that this could be included on in the menu? So the well, the death penalty. The... the death penalty. Well, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying for our <laughs> listeners who don't know the difference between the European Council and the Council of Europe and all these other acronyms. The Council of Europe is the body which uh, has the European Court of Human Rights and is the the main custodian of human rights. So a, a, a scrapping of the death penalty would be against that as much as against the European yeah. Union. Yeah, yeah, the death penalty is really more about the Council of Europe than anything else. And uh, once the Council of Europe suspends Turkey or kicks it out, then that means the rights of Turkish citizens 
for individual appeals of their verdicts domestically to, into to the court, and I think Turkey is number one in the number of cases that have actually been brought to the attention of the court or that the court accepted. Um, that that right and therefore that protection, legal protection, will be taken away from Turkish citizens. Uh, so that's uh, that, in my view, will be the most dramatic thing because it will be exactly 30 years since Turkey under President Özal did apply and accepted, I'm sorry, the jurisdiction of the European Court of Human Rights. So how big a deal would it be if negotiations get suspended? Because they've been dead for a long time anyway. Is this something which is going to drive Turkey further into the arms of Vladimir Putin, into the arms of the Chinese? He's talked about joining the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Could Turkey end up leaving NATO? Or is it really just basically being honest about a situation that we've been in for a very long time anyway? Um, again, look, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization has never been or was not designed to be the alternative to the European Union. It was meant to be and designed to be an alternative to NATO. Therefore, whenever we, the, 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 rule, the, the ruling party pitted European Union or the Shanghai Cooperation Organization against the European Union, it was a non-starter. But uh, uh, if they continue, then I suppose then. But of course, there is now in the in the in the air the vibes about Turkey either leaving NATO or being asked to leave NATO. I don't think you can really do that. But uh, Turkey's NATO membership is being questioned these days. So whether well, will Turkey go more to the arms of Putin? I don't know what what more Putin can want. I mean, if if Turkey's relations with NATO are disrupted as well, I guess Vladimir Putin will have gotten everything that he wanted. That is, um, a Turkey that is no longer really loyal to the Western alliance, very weak ties remaining to NATO. Uh, and uh, and obviously Europe has been weakened. And yeah. by the way, as you said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, instead of Putin being uh, European enemy number one or European rival number one, Mr. Erdogan has actually taken the prized position and then is presented that way in European public. It seems to me that it is uh, actually uh, not much that Erdogan has won from this until now, especially on the Russia... Um, on the Russia line, because it seems that everything that he hoped for on the Kurdish issue to be helped by, by the Russians for, uh, and actually also he has hoped the same from the Americans, he's not getting. And even more, there seemed to be a kind of Russian-American understanding that he's not going to get it, yeah. which is probably the worst place that, uh, that you can be at. Well, our normal or our usual way of thinking, I mean, first of all, a country like Turkey, which is a medium-sized power with a very important location, manages its foreign affairs by making sure that it is not at odds with the existing great powers of the day. Okay, not with both of them at the same time. Now, and that, so until, uh, when, when, the, when the relations with Russia broke down, when the, when the plane was shut down, uh, you could understand the desire to actually be in good terms with them. And then you could even understand to actually approach the Russians in order to tell the Americans, look, 
we have legitimate demands from you and you're not really responding to those, just be careful. But as it is now, as you said, both the Americans and the Russians are giving Turkey rather harsh messages. It's not just look unequivocal, it's harsh messages that no, we do not share your view of PYD. We are helping you and to make sure that the PYD is not going to be controlling a corridor, but we are not going to be... So the PYD the, is the... PYD is the, the Kurdish, Kurdish group that is... Group. Of course, Turkey does have their, their... Turkey has a legitimate concern. That is, PYD is affiliated with the PKK. PKK fights a war within Turkey. So the PYD and, is the <coughs> militia group that's fighting in Syria y, yeah. against ISIS and is yeah. being supported right. by the Americans. The PKK and the Russians. Is, is, and the Russians. is the Turkish... And uh, the irony of it all is, yeah. of course, both the Europeans and the Americans consider the PKK a terrorist organization, whereas the Russians don't. And the Russians also have two representative offices, both for the PKK and the PYD in, in Moscow. Moscow. And they seem to be in very chattering mood with them all the time. So in that sense, Turkey is in a very isolated position. And that is not the place that a country such as Turkey should be in. Okay, so the yes situation means greater isolation and a high chance of things being suspended and, and possibly a, a kind of greater escalation. Vesa, you're about to tell us what happens if there's a, if there's a no vote. In the well, this is, I think this is uh, paradoxically the more interesting question because a no vote um, looks from a European perspective kind of the better option, right? But whether it's going to bring uh, uh, a much better result, uh, we're not quite sure. We think that um, a, a no vote may push Mr. Erdogan to be more conciliatory, to look for more, uh, uh, for more partners, maybe to, re to reinstate the uh, talks uh, with the Kurds, maybe to be softer on the dissidents. But frankly, it also may have exactly the, other, the opposite effect. Maybe a no vote is going to escalate uh, further the situation and make him try to regain uh, ground and regain um, his strong position at any cost. Which do you think is more likely, Soli? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, the thing is because everything she said could also be said about the yes vote. <laughs> because a lot of Kurds are being told, hey, hey let him get this presidency thing is very important for the president. Let him get it, and then we'll return to the ceasefire period, okay? And I have no idea how likely that is, quite frankly. And, and the same with the, with the no vote. Uh, by the way, with the yes vote, I, I tend to think, and I think most people that I know tend to think that we will probably have early elections, and that may be actually the real beginning of the new period, okay? Uh, I also happen to think that if we have a no vote, we may have early elections, but others who are politicians do not. We'll see. Uh, but a no vote will do the following. It will show that there is a vulnerability there. Because if despite this massive uh, pressure with the campaign, totally unequal distribution of media time, totally unequal access to resources, intimidation, if despite all that, if despite all that, the no carries the day, that will mean that there is resistance to certain things. We don't know exactly what. That's the, and and that, that may give some of the 
presumed dissenters within the AKP, and also definitely the dissenters within the Nationalist Party, the MHP, who have not yet been able to form themselves into a political party, an opening to actually get in the field. Now, my reasoning for why we would have early elections after a no vote actually is based on that. That is, the president will probably not want to give these guys enough time to actually organize themselves. Okay. Right. A politician friend of mine who is currently serving in the parliament thinks that I'm wrong and I'm not contesting what he's, I'm just reporting what he's saying. He thinks he would not take that risk. But again, remember that a no vote would mean we don't want the constitutional change. It doesn't mean we don't want you. Yeah. It doesn't mean we want Erdogan out. Yeah. In fact, a lot of people who adore him, who support him and will probably vote, not exactly for him, but for his party, may come out and, and vote no this time around. This is like, hey, we love you as you are, but, you know, this is a bit too far. We don't really want this, okay? You're going to stay in place. The system is going to be continuing the same way. The no voters don't risk anything, such as him leaving power and them feeling abandoned and stuff. So you think that's more likely than sort of elite huh? cracks and, and hmm? some some of the critical voices within the AKP being emboldened and coming out and... Um... Well, uh, there was a dinner invitation for um, former prime ministers last week, I think. And two former AKP prime ministers didn't show up. I think it was a presidential invitation. So for them not to show up, in my judgment, since they showed up on everything until now, suggests to me that maybe that photo opportunity was not for them. So that you think they point. might come out if there's a no vote? And... I, 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 I look, I, I will never bet so on who, who was who's going Dok to. Davut Toglu. And good. And good. Okay. So can we, because we've... But maybe, all... they had, they, maybe they had legitimate excuses, right. I don't know. So we're, we're coming <coughs> to the end of our time now. Maybe um, both of you could say what you think the EU-Turkey relationship should turn into if we get beyond the fiction of... Uh, of the negotiations maybe if we can if we can briefly say what it would be in a no vote case okay uh, because europeans think it's the easier option um but frankly if europeans decide to use the momentum after a no vote they should be very quick to find a new way to talk to uh to the turkish leadership uh, not through the paradigm of uh, uh, of the accession negotiations, obviously, and not through the paradigm of uh, um, of the migration crisis. In my view, there there should be more talk on on uh, the customs union or on other economic issues uh, that are of interest for both sides. This dialogue should start as soon as possible in order not to, again, tilt in a way uh, where it's very difficult to get it back straight. The first thing that I would like to see re-established is civility between the two sides. Wow, you're setting the bar high. Hmm? You're setting the bar very high. That might be the, the most difficult thing to do. Uh, well, but the <laughs> thing is, you absolutely need... I mean, one can understand everybody's political expediencies, you know, populism in Europe, you know, the need to keep the troops uh, hanging together in, in Turkey. But the thing is, we've got to stop uh, uh, libeling one another in public. 
It's one thing to have that conversation behind closed doors and they can yell at one another, but it's another thing to actually pour gasoline into the fire of poisonous, venomous hate speech that exists both in Europe and in Turkey. I don't think we would benefit from that. And I, de- I do agree that, um, you know, the, by the way, the refugee agreement was not a bad start. Yeah. It basically gave us a platform, which was not the accession platform, so that we could progress. All right. I don't see why we couldn't do this on a number of. But the thing is, so both sides will also have to make up their minds. I mean, for Turkey, the, the, the decision, the critical decision is what do we want to do with Europe? Do we really want to be part of the European world, whether or not we're members of the European Union? That's not the issue. Or do we want out? Really? Do, to be autonomous or join a Eurasian setup, whatever. And the Europeans will have to decide, you can't push a country like Turkey forever. You can't push it around. And you cannot pretend that you don't need it either. So they've got to decide what it is exactly that they want from Turkey. By the way, four days ago, the United States and United Kingdom have actually made a very significant decision concerning Turkey. They took the Turkish file from the European desk, and they put it on the Middle Eastern desk. That is not yet fully appreciated in my judgment in, in Turkey. But is that really the way you want to treat Turkey? Uh, maybe this would be the beginning of the conversation, who, which I hope will be much more civil after the 16th of April. And maybe the more optimistic scenarios in either the yes or the no case. That is, okay, I've got what I want. If there's a yes, now I can slow down, calm down, and then see how we talk about these matters. And on the, in, in the no vote as well, okay, I got a message. Maybe I should heed the call of that message and then move on. We'll see. Okay, well, I think, I think we will have to look on with bated breath at what happens both in Turkey, but also I, I do think that given the number of elections in other EU countries, the hope for civility and is maybe... Uh, slightly utopian at least until the big elections of 2017 are out of the way because Turkey is such a central part of the strategy of all central centrist parties to show that they don't they're not too soft on identity political issues but thank you very much for a fascinating discussion got one more thing to ask you which is um what's on your bookshelf at the moment do you have a recommendation of an article or a book uh age of anger by Pankaj Mishra and I think it should be read alongside with uh, Jan Werner Müller's What is Populism? I I want to advertise an old book that I read only recently Um, it's it's Brother Lautenzak by Feuchtwanger it's a book uh, about the beginning of the 30s in Germany Um, and it is actually about the rage and the and the populism in a context that Europe has already seen, but maybe slightly forgotten. And I've been catching up on some of the reading from the last podcast where we're talking about the intellectual roots of Trumpism. I've been reading a lot of the articles in the Journal of American Affairs, which Julius Krein was editing, in particular Julius Krein's long essay on James Burnham about the the rise of a managerial elite and how that is changing our politics, which is very interesting indeed. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do let your friends know about it by writing about it on your Facebook page, on ECFR's Facebook page, by tweeting about it, and above all, by giving us a review and a ranking on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or whatever platform it is that you're listening 
to us on at the moment. But for now, from Solly Ozel, from Vesela Chenova, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The editor of ECFR's podcast is Bullying Goimin, and our researcher is Ulrike Franco.